0: Welcome to the Investor Shed Podcast with Nick Beverage, the ultimate source for all
1: things investing and beyond. For free tools, tips, and tricks, go to NorthIdahoREI.com. Today's episode features Stephen Doty. Stephen is a young real estate investor, a world traveler, and a master of creative deal making. He talks of his travel experiences and how he buys all of his rental properties with innovative financing. Stay tuned. Started, (laughs) yeah,
0: (laughs) all right, Stephen Doty. Thank you, thanks for coming here. Yeah, absolutely, appreciate you coming out. Um, so last year I was always watching my Facebook, and you're a friend on my Facebook, and I got extremely jealous (laughs) because you kept posting photos of you in the desert riding on camels around pyramids, and you were just all over the world right?
1: Yeah. (laughs) It was like three or four different trips, uh, five continents, uh, 24 countries, 24 countries. Okay. So all in like 2019, right? Uh, 19, a little bit of 18, the end of 18. I started, yeah. In the fall of 18.
0: And you're able to do all that based just off your like rental income, right? Or For the most part. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So yeah, I did a trip through the Middle East. Um, Uh, Egypt, uh, Petra, Jerusalem, Uh, went to Rome, seen the Colosseum, uh, Casablanca, Uh, came home, did another trip through Europe, uh, Germany, France, uh, just all over through Europe, Budapest, then came home, then did a trip through, uh, so I guess it was four trips, and Uh then came back home and then did a trip through Asia. Uh, uh, These pants are from uh, New Delhi, uh, India. The shirt's uh-huh. from on my way to a tango lesson in, uh, in Argentina, <laughs> nice. so yeah, all over the place.
0: So prior to that, have you ever kind of gone on a huge trip like that?
1: No, that was my first time overseas, and so yeah, I, I had a goal to see the seven world wonders <laughs> in one year. It didn't happen, but I've seen five of them, so yeah. it, was, it was a good trip. That's incredible. Okay, so
0: um, how did you make all that happen? Uh, And first,
1: hold on before you say that. What what was was your favorite country? Oh, favorite country? I don't know. um, Jerusalem is a great destination. There's so much to see there. Uh, And Cairo is a great destination. Uh, One of my favorite towns was uh, Pokhra in Nepal. Uh It was somewhat similar to this, but really pretty, like, mountains and lakes. And all the Himalayas were in the background. Uh, Really pretty, like, mountain town. But uh, Poker was probably the most relaxing town I was in. But poker. Did you play poker
0: there? No. Oh, Okay. No. What what was what was your most favorite thing to do? Uh favorite like
1: experience or something? Yeah, your your most favorite. Experience. Rearing up a horse in front of the pyramids. Okay. Yeah, I seen somebody else had a picture of them like rearing up a horse and I was So rearing... that wasn't photoshopped. No, 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 no. Was... I've never seen that photo and I'm just like that looks Photoshopped. <laughs> no, I seen somebody had that, and I, the ne- I was like, I am doing this. So the next morning, I w- went out in the street. I'm, like, showing people the picture. I'm like, who, who, who has a horse? Within, like, five minutes, somebody's like, we got a horse. Come this way. Oh, so, that's awesome. Yeah, it was fun. Okay. So you grew up in North Idaho, mostly? Yeah. Or Washington, right? Uh, yeah. Well, we came over here to Idaho, like, in o2 or something like that. Yeah,
0: and your brother describes it as – you guys are, like – Refugees from, <laughs> from the state refugees. of Washington. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> Hilarious the way you yeah. told that. You don't have to tell that story. but
1: uh, My dad got in a fight with the state of Washington for allowing uh, me and my other brother to work in the family business. Washington yeah. is a terrible place to, to try to run a business.
0: <laughs> Which is funny because you know, my dad I worked with him in his business Lane Tile when I was in Washington?
1: Uh, no, here in Idaho. Yeah, yeah. But
0: I was, you know, I was probably 9, 10, 11, all the way up to maybe 14 before I got a job at KFC. Yeah. Um, yeah,
1: Washington if you allow suffer or permit a minor to exert strength or faculties to do or perform something, you have then employed them. And Washington's two examples are retrieving the mail and uh, bringing in the mail and retrieving a hammer. And if you allow, suffer, or even permit a minor to do that, yeah. bring in the mail, you've employed them. And so, yeah, it's a, uh, yeah, it's messed up.
0: Yeah. And your dad, uh, so your family business is moving houses, right? Yeah.
1: So yeah, my dad's moved houses since before I was. So, so I grew up doing that with him. Nice. And he, could, and he continued that business in Idaho? Yep. So that's still his main gig for the last Great. about 30 years. Um,
0: when did you um, buy your first property or put together your first rental? I know you do things extremely creatively, but we'd love to hear about your... Um, when did you first
1: get the idea and what, what did your first deal look like? Um, so I was... It was in 2015. So I was like 23. I'm okay. 28 now. Um, and uh, I I got a great deal, a great opportunity on... Ten acres with a mobile home on it, and um, yeah, uh, most of my projects have been like really creatively financed and uh-huh. stuff. But that was uh, that I purchased it with uh, a lifelong lease of the property that the person could live there for the rest of their life. So, it, oh wow, yeah. So it really, uh, so I got a discount with. Uh, was it like seller financing or? Yeah, I got that seller financing. Yeah, okay. uh, With uh, a lifelong lease. Lifelong lease. For for that, for that, for that mobile home that on, was the, the, on owner? the property. Mm-hmm. So
0: it was a tenant that was the owner. Was yeah. The owner. So the
1: tenant, so the owner became the tenant.
0: Okay. Yeah. And, and what did you end up doing to that property? Did you just leave it alone or did you um, do something to it?
1: Yeah. So I, uh, it was 10 acres. I, I moved another mobile home onto the back and set that up as a rental. Okay. Um, yeah, so, and then... Good thing you had experience moving houses. Yeah, yeah. Right. so <laughs> I'm I... am sure that helped. Exactly. And that was part of... Um, well, actually, this was my second property now that I think about it. Um, but yeah, so once... I, I guess I kind of got interested in real estate when I was about 23 years old. Uh-huh. After I, I, I always knew I wanted to own my own place, but I wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do for work. and so I when I found creative ways to buy a piece of property and like own my own place and have a place to work on it was like awesome and then I was like well this could be a a job too this can be a source of income and stuff and uh, my older brother had uh, like tried planting the seed of creative passive income yeah Uh, and so he he told me he, he was like set a goal to make passive income and that and when I was like 21, 22, 23, I was like passive income, like it was kind of a foreign concept to me. Yeah. So I remember when I was like 21 to 22, I was like, well, it'd be nice to try to achieve that goal, but I have no idea what that would look like. Uh, I mean, I had no assets, no money, wasn't really working a great job. And I was like, well, it'd be cool if I could make like, I, should, I wanna get a gym membership already, be cool if I could make 30 bucks a month just to cover a gym membership that was my literally my first like Set passive income <laughs> that was my first passive income goal when I was like 21 okay and um or 22 or something like that just because I I mean the idea of uh, making money when you're not working was a foreign concept to me uh I just assumed I was gonna have to work for money mm-hmm. but uh, I started listening to a bunch of audiobooks um richest man in Babylon and a lot of a lot of great audiobooks and that was really inspirational for me. And I was like, I should try to build some, some passive income and, and wealth. And I thought real estate was a good avenue. So fast forward a year later when I was 23, I, I, uh, a year or so after I set that goal to make $30 a month, I then was bringing in like 800 a month, although half that was going to a mortgage payment. Uh-huh. Um, but I was actually you, know, you know, making 100 bucks a week, essentially cash flowing. And I was yeah. like, that's cool, that's exciting. Even yeah. though, you know, 100
0: a week, yeah. Yeah, uh,
1: you know, it was like 400 a month that I was cash flowing out. Which is it.
0: a lot for a 23 year old. Yeah,
1: especially, yeah, on my, I, this again was my second property, I guess. Mm-hmm. But uh, I was like, I think real estate's a good avenue. I wanna, cause I can figure this stuff out.
0: So what did that deal look like? I mean, you said you got it seller financing and then you were able to lease back for the lifetime of this, uh, tenant, yeah. this property, but so did you have to come up with, did they just need some cash down that you were able to um, come up with
1: or like how, what do the numbers look like if you don't mind sharing? Um, so it was more, um, that one was through a friend. So that one wasn't something I was actively looking for somebody like. Like offered me the opportunity and I was really grateful for it it was a really uh, providential situation Um, and so it was really uh, mutually beneficial to both of us Uh, I was able to acquire a nice property they were able to um, stop all their mortgage payments not worry about um, you know insurance on the property any extra expenses mm-hmm. and I was going to help maintain the property and take care of any problems so they were getting for the rest of their life um, um, you know a free place to live so okay so it was a yeah a, yeah an interesting so you just, so you took over the mortgage uh or? yes
0: okay so it wasn't really seller finance or was well, it seller, seller like finance, a wrap
1: uh, yeah, so my mortgage payments went to who that person had been making their mortgage payments to. They were they yeah reassigned the loan to me. Okay.
0: Okay. And the deal was they just got to stay there on yep. the property. They,
1: yeah, they got uh, free rent and maintenance for the rest of their life, and a wow. place a place to live with, uh, with, yeah. So they got rid of most of their bills, and had a caretaker to take care of the place for them. Do you remember
0: what, um, how much that mortgage was and what the property was worth?
1: Um, I got it for definitely a lot, um, uh, a lot less than, uh, uh, what it was market worth. value. Yeah. Okay. Um, probably like 50% of market value or something like that. Oh, wow. Um, but it was coming with, uh, you know, a I'm lifelong lease agreement for free. Yeah. So. It was an unusual creative way of...
0: And did you tell them in advance that you were going to have to do something with the property to make money? Yeah. Yeah. That was all... Lease out the back Mm -hmm. end. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so what... um, So how much money did you have to come up with initially um, to make this deal work? Um, To make this deal work? Zero. Zero. So you just had to be responsible for the mortgage payment. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So I took over. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and then you were just uh, so I'm assuming you bought it for whatever the balance was left mm-hmm. on the mortgage, which is mm-hmm. probably about half of market value. Mm-hmm. That sounds cool. <laughs> yeah, it was an amazing opportunity. Like I said, so uh, how much? So how, so sorry to interrupt, but uh, so the backside of this, you brought on another mobile home or manufactured home. Mm-hmm. Um, what did that cost you to to bring in and
1: and did you I bought it for like a thousand bucks and set it up myself? Okay.
0: So is this a house that somebody was removing off of a property um, that yeah. like so maybe your dad Yeah, so with my dad, dad
1: being in... Uh, the house moving house business. House moving business, yeah. Um, it, mobile homes aren't really worth his time if he gets them uh, for cheap or for free. Um, okay. And so I kind of have an in on, on getting houses. Yeah. So I've since then like bought lots specifically waiting for my dad to find a good deal um, on, on homes to buy from him and, and then set up again. But Great. he sells a number of homes every year uh, sell them delivered to the property. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, So I've, I bought one mobile home from him and I've got two other mobile homes that I later flipped and, um, I, yeah, so, so, so
0: you were able to put this, so 10 acres is big. Mm -hmm. Um, what'd you do for utilities? Um, so I ran all utilities. I did all the work myself. Okay. You did the work yourself, which is huge. Mm -hmm. Because I'm sure somebody else would charge you. Yeah. So I already had some
1: like hands-on experience with some of the stuff, but but I mean, my dad's business uh, takes a lot of creativity and common sense to pick up a house. Every house is different. Every house is built different and shaped different. And Mm -hmm. so every time he shows up and quotes a bid on how much it'll take to pick that house up or to move that house, there's a lot of thinking and wrestling through and just figuring it out. Yeah. And so I was used to that type of work of just making things happen and figuring it, you know, figure it out. So a lot of the stuff just didn't scare me. I was just like, well, okay, I'll figure out how to run power. Okay. So I rented a trencher, uh, figured out permits, uh, figured out how to put in septic systems, figured out all that stuff.
0: Okay. So the house only cost you 1000 bucks. What did it cost you with your in materials to put a thousand up, a few more yeah it's like another so what six grand um
1: yeah and this being one of your first deals how'd you get the money for that so um when my older brother turned me on to uh, a bunch of really good audio books when i was like 18 like 10 years ago um I I really just started listening to audiobooks all the time. So I was always listening to Seven Habits of Highly Effective People or Think and Grow Rich or, I mean, uh, there's just uh, dozens and dozens of great books I've listened to. But a common theme was, you know, uh, part of all you earn is yours to keep. Save a percentage. So when I was 18, I started uh, saving 10% of uh, all my income. Okay. And at that point, like, I mean, I didn't really have any big plans of wealth at all, uh, at all, uh, I mean, I had plans of travel, uh, health, I had different goals, I, I, I almost bring today my, my plaque that sits beside my bed, where I have a picture for different areas of my life, uh-huh. and um, I, I put together a life mission statement when I was like 18 or 19, and I printed out a picture with the quote that I wrote for each key area of life, and... Um, so I, but financial, the financial one wasn't a big part of that for right. until I was into more in my mid twenties. I was like, I actually want to pursue more finances.
0: Yeah. It makes doing the rest of your life a lot. Of, a yeah, lot <laughs> it does. When you have your finances set, yeah. it sure makes the rest of life much easier to
1: comprehend. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And so, so now I, perf- I pursue wealth. Uh, not necessarily for wealth, but for time i yeah. I understand how it saves you time. Yeah. Um, i yeah, yeah so time is everything, so some of my friends are like,, well, you're focused on money, like. There's more to life than money. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm focused on life. I'm creating money now, so I get my life back. You're yeah. the one focused on money. You want to spend 40 hours a week on it. I'm not <laughs> gonna spend 40 hours a week on money. 20 yeah. hours a week is plenty. So, so a different perspective for sure. Yeah,
0: totally different perspective. Yeah. Yeah. So th- another uh, thing about that, which may sound cruel is you know, an employee type mindset. Mhm. You know, they're they're really only serving themselves. Yeah, for the most part, cuz they're going to work for, you know, trading their time for a paycheck and they're not really providing much value. Yeah, out yeah. There. you're not providing and that's, and that's why and the government sees that and that's why they get taxed the highest amount as an employee, but you know, as like an investor or a business owner, you're you are creating jobs. Mm-hmm. You're creating housing. -hmm. You're creating so much, and um, I feel like, you know, the wealthier you are, usually it's because you've. Yeah. um, It it has a direct result for the unless you're like a money manager just playing on a computer. (laughs) But typically, the wealthier you are, the more you've done for
1: your community. Absolutely, that's more evident I think in the Jewish culture. They, if they see somebody with wealth, they show them extra respect because obviously they must have done. More for their community to have to merit such wealth, so it's like a different perspective on wealthy people. I think more in the Jewish culture, mm-hmm. um, but but yeah, I I think um, Brandon Turner. Somebody criticized him when he said he bragged or he he didn't brag, but he said I've got like a hundred rentals, and somebody said no one should own a hundred rentals, and he was like taken back by that like what like I'm providing housing for a hundred people like yeah. how many people are you helping with housing
0: like and it's not just it's that. A different I mean think of how many jobs he's created yeah like with handyman work and property managers that could you know get an income and I mean the list goes on and on and on loans that were created mm-hmm. lenders inspectors appraisers all these people got paid as a result for Brennan buying a hundred houses yeah <laughs> I mean it has a huge effect on the entire community
1: yeah yeah Jim Rohn says you get paid you don't get paid for time you get paid for bringing value to the marketplace yep and can you bring twice as much value in the same amount of time is that possible and he's like the answer is of course if you listen to much Jim Rohn he's always saying of course of course but uh that's the that's probably the one guy I haven't listened to much Jim Rohn yeah he's probably my favorite he's probably my favorite he's really good he talks a lot about uh, like the psychology or the philosophy or your your personal philosophy yeah. that controls where you end up in life. I
0: listen to a lot of like Napoleon Hill yeah. and um, uh, Robert Kiyosaki and Anthony Robbins, mm-hmm. those guys, but not yet Jim Rohn. Yeah, he, I'll work on it. <laughs> he's really good.
1: He's probably my favorite.
0: Yeah. Okay, so um, so what I gather, if we go back to that property. Mm-hmm. So since you were 18, so for you had a few years of saving 10% of your income. So you had a yeah. little bit of savings to cover that small expense yeah, of hooking, and I had already, hooking the utilities up by yourself.
1: So I actually was saving um, 20% of my income for about that five years from 18 to oh, okay. 23. Uh, I, I saved 10% in an envelope, Jim Rohn said, called active capital and 10% as passive capital. He mm-hmm. said for your passive capital, try to find some passive way to invest it, but for your active capital try to actively figure out how to invest it. So I was trying to understand what investing was. And so I like tried flipping a truck. I tried buying silver. You know, I bought Bitcoin. Yeah. And this was back in like 2013. <laughs> <laughs> Should have kept uh, it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so I experimented with getting familiar with investing. And I think that was crucial to, to start where I was with, you know, I remember I remember being such a stickler that when I, Ended up with five bucks from helping a neighbor or something. I went and got change in quarters so I could put uh-huh. 50 cents in one envelope and 50 cents in another envelope. After that, I was like, No, I'm not, I'm only going to do it if it's over a dollar. Oh, but man. I was, I was a stickler from like 18 to, to 23, 24. That's so that sounds so much like I was
0: when I was like, from like 19 to 25, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. Anything that I deposited into my accounts, I had like seven other accounts lined oh. up and I would transfer and each one had a percentage of mm-hmm. what it would go to. And I've had, you know, like a six month savings account. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had an investing account, save up for taxes. I had a fun account, a donation account, um, an account to pay back my mom. She lent me money a long time ago. I had all these different accounts that I would each. So every dollar that went in, I think I only wound up with like 20 cents or whatever, mm-hmm. that just went into, I called it a service porter, and this was, they went to pay bills or whatever for random expenses throughout the day. So you were living off so, 20%? Yeah, about, about 20% of whatever wow. I made. Um, and other things just went into all kinds of different things that I had to save for, and it was just easier for me to track in my head. I was that you know, if you just have one bucket that you throw all your money in, you don't really know how much money you have, mm-hmm. or how or it's a, you don't really have know how much money you have for all your different expenses or savings and um, mm-hmm. That's that just the way it was easier for me to comprehend in my mind. Oh, I've got 500 bucks that I can give away this year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or I'm okay, I've got $6,000, which will, yeah, at the time, this would last me almost <laughs> six months. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that would last me half a month now. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, it was just easier for me to separate every, every dollar that came in and I would just break it down in percentages and just transfer into each account and I would live on about
1: 20%. Yeah, that's really helpful to know where your money is going and to see it mm-hmm. like that. Another thing that was really helpful for me was to think about money as far as net worth, not how much I make. Um, that was just a good paradigm shift. Uh, instead of to track how much money am I earning this month or, uh, or you know this year, but how much is my net worth growing this month or this year? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a, that's a way better way of tracking. Yeah. Your, your Could income be complicated over too. Road. What do you do that with? Uh, do you do that on your own or do you use a website to track uh, your network? Just some simple spreadsheet, spreadsheet. Okay. Yeah, just But but yeah, I was doing that for some for different years. I was doing that on like a weekly basis. Mm-hmm. Not that it would shift any on a weekly basis, but I just wanted to know the number for myself because I knew if I if I kept that number in my mind, I, it would help me be more creative in seeing how to grow it. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of, a lot of psychology that comes into all of this stuff, but yeah.
0: Okay. So if we go back to that 10 acre property, mm-hmm. sorry, we're, we're going to wrap up on this one, but I, would like to, I'd like to look at the full deal mm-hmm. if I could. So you threw, so you invested another few thousand dollars, putting uh, a manufactured home on the back end of that 10 acres. What did that one rent for?
1: Um, 700, 700, um, and in the last five years, have you up the rent at all? So it's renting for seven hundred now. It was actually renting for less. Okay. Um, I think I. Um, yeah, I was renting it for a bit less. I've changed the rent up and down several times. Uh, but if I have a great tenant, I'll often drop the rent on them just to keep them there. If I have a bad tenant the rent <laughs> okay and so you're doing
0: the property management as well yeah on these properties yeah and then you, you had mentioned you're like oh shoot I actually bought another property before that one do you want to talk about that one
1: uh, that was um, pretty I don't I think pretty much every property I bought I bought for like at least half of tax assessed value the, the other property I, I bought was um, half of tax assessed value half of tax assessed value, which
0: is funny because so the tax assessed values are early about in this Kootenai county they're about like eighty percent of what the actual market value is. Yeah. so you actually bought for less than half of market value.
1: Yeah, most of my properties I bought for around forty percent of tax assessed value. Wow yeah so I, I, I have like a 70 percent equity position in, in overall in my portfolio right now. Okay, so I could be I probably should be borrowing more money to invest in more things. But, um, the other one was uh, 16 acres I bought uh, with a partnership with one of my brothers. Okay. Yeah. And what did, that, what did that deal look like? Um, it was, uh, there was, all my properties have been like problematic for some reason. This one was <laughs> landlocked,
0: okay. um,
1: but there was a way of fighting and I felt confident that I could get the legal access. Through it, and if not, uh, it was bordering a family member's property, and yeah. I knew I could work a deal with a family member. So, um, we just heard about this property word of mouth. It was an adjacent property going up for sale, and so we got uh, me and my brother bought that, and uh, I later sold my share of that and sold out of it. Okay, do you ever
0: feel like you're like just just a professional problem solver?
1: Yes, at times. Yeah. <laughs>
0: That's what it takes to, you know, creatively put together real estate deals. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's just a bunch of like, yeah, yeah. Looking through tons of properties and thinking how you could do something creative and figure out a way to make it make money somehow.
0: Yeah. Um, so this was, uh, so you started about five years ago and um, how many, um, how many uh, pieces
1: of property do you have now that you
0: rent well, or, or uh, rental units, I guess you could say?
1: I have nine properties, nine lots, Uh um, uh, but a number of them are in like the same locations, um, or I bought like a group of lots together, but um, nine properties um, and um, like 14, I think 14 different things I'm renting. Okay. So, um, but most of those, uh, I mean, there's a a tiny house, there's RV spots, there's... Uh, mobile homes uh, roommate there's like <laughs> a little bit of everything in that gotcha
0: and how much cash flow do you have kicking out to yourself every month
1: um uh, I just added it up yesterday I think it's around thirty five hundred about thirty five have cash flow yeah man that's actually so that's a great job
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's like job income wise plus you have the so the and you just did all this just within the last five years yeah wow um so yeah 35 so if you didn't do anything else do you think that that rental income would keep coming in or are there oh, yeah. any major improvements you have so to i've rate?
1: got actually two different people part of their rent is managing or taking care of like i, I built an rv park last year mm-hmm. and um i have one person on, living on site managing that and then um i'm uh uh, paying somebody else to manage all the invoicing and take care of all the bill collecting and stuff, but pretty much everyone pays. So, do you have
0: do you have any regular conventional mortgages on
1: anything? Nope, nope. I've Not done seller all. financing or or found creative financing for everything. So, I uh, haven't got money from a bank. So that's amazing. So starting, you know, in my early 20s without any job, any real job history uh-huh. worth talking about. Um, I mean, I did have some decent jobs, but they were short term or they were under the table or they were, you know, seasonal or different things. I worked moving houses. Uh, I worked repairing the melters at Kaiser aluminum with a company, um, American furnace maintenance. So I was the foreman on the crew that went and repaired furnaces, but that's when they break. So I don't, it wasn't a full-time gig paid really well, but wasn't full-time. I spent one summer, uh, traveling around the U S um, setting up fire camps for firefighters. So oh wow, uh, did, did a bunch of dif- different stuff. So and not enough to let a bank uh, feel comfortable loaning me a lot of right. money. So I didn't even try. I just yeah. was like, there's other ways of getting money.
0: Yeah, when you're self-employed, it's so hard to get it. Even if you were making great money and reporting everything, it's just so hard for yeah. a self-employed
1: person to. Well, well, also because most all the money I was making w- was in forced appreciation in equity. Mm-hmm. So I felt like that was how I was making money, you know, so I wasn't actually collecting most of the money I was going right back into it, yeah so if I make eighty hundred grand that year in equity um you know I didn't actually earn anything you know i never I didn't sell anything, yeah, so that's, my income was what ten grand five grand, <laughs> but you know I make a hundred grand of equity, so yeah, it's a good trade off so okay. i i um like Robert Kiyosaki says, the rich work for assets uh, instead of for money. Yeah, And that's how, that was my perspective. I'm, I'm trying to grow my net worth in assets and I could care less how much money as long as I'm bringing enough to live off of.
0: Yeah, bringing in the cash flow.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: So what are you working on now? You're working on a project out on Twin Lakes. Yeah,
1: so, so yeah, I got four properties. Uh, you know obviously uh, Mm -hmm. you represented me on that transaction Uh, but yeah I bought four lots on the backside of Twin Lakes and so I'm building tiny homes and I'm going to probably flip the first one or two and then
0: uh, did you mention their boat access boat access only lots so pretty uh, you got an amazing deal (laughs) yeah on four lots um, and, um, yeah, I was, I was really impressed when I was out there the other week and I saw how much you did just in three
1: weeks. <laughs> oh, <good. laughs> I haven't been out there since almost. It's been raining every day. So yeah,
0: we've had, yeah, we've had tough weather. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so what's your, what's your plans with these lots?
1: Um, so I'll probably end up selling the first one, possibly the second one. I'm kind of playing it by ear. So mm-hmm. it's. Um, and you're building you're building tiny dry cabins or yeah um yeah we'll see uh so the first one's yeah just going to be a dry cabin um uh i mean i might have a composting toilet or an outhouse or something Mm -hmm. but uh yeah
0: yeah and and you're still able to be extremely creative like you got this dock out there that looks fine works great Paid five hundred bucks for. You got a used dock somewhere and brought
1: it over. Yeah. Um, so half of my work is scrolling through Craigslist, <laughs> <laughs> looking for deals on property or looking for deals on yeah. docks or or networking with friends trying to see where I can borrow a little bit of money or. Yeah.
0: Because um, I think most people would have paid ten times that amount or more <laughs> for yeah. what you did, especially since it's you know you have to build it on the other side of the lake. So that was really cool.
1: Yeah, I do a lot of the work myself. So. Um, but it's way more satisfying. Like I used to, in some ways, not really like work when it was for like covering my needs and working for somebody else on their project. Yeah. Work is way more rewarding when you're building yourself a cabin on the lake or it's or pretty satisfying. Yeah. yeah. It's way I can more satisfying can attest to that. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: Um, so going back to, um, the, the trips that you took around the world, um, do you, do you mind sharing? How, how much did it cost you
1: money-wise well, to do that much traveling in a year? Um, probably a lot less than people think. Um, I'm a pretty frugal person.
0: Yeah, I know you, you worked out some weird deal with the airlines, right? Or
1: some um, company that I had some deal that helped me get cheaper tickets. Um, but I probably, I probably, I, I, I don't actually know how much it cost. Uh, ballpark, <laughs> ballpark. Um, I know once you're over there, once you're over in another country, you can live a lot cheaper than you would think. But especially if you stay in hostels and yeah. travel by bus, you can you can probably live on like fifty bucks a day in a, in in another country on another continent, traveling from country to country, covering mm-hmm. like especially if you're like in India, you can live on like five bucks a day, but. <laughs> if you're in India, but in Europe, it's it's a little different, more like 80 bucks a day.
0: Do you have to like constantly convert your currency wherever you want? It? Yeah, yeah. Is that a
1: pain? Um, a, a, a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's some funny stories with that, but trying to get into Nepal. Apparently, if you're trying to cross the border into Nepal, you have to have US currency, and I didn't realize that. <laughs> I had Indian currency and Nepali currency, and which are the two countries right there? I'm crossing from India into Nepal, but you have to. You, the only way you can cross is if you pay at the border with U.S. currency. Wow. So that, um, yeah, and I had just Very spent my U.S. Currency, <laughs> currency the night before to get Nepali currency, so I'd be fine to cross <laughs> the border. They're <laughs> like, no, we only ex- accept U.S. currency. It was funny. They, the person ahead of me in line uh-huh. was paying. It was like fifty dollars for a visa, and he was some Oriental person paying uh-huh. in U.S. currency, and he had fifty one dollar bills and the guy at the crossing would pick up a u.s one dollar bill and he would look at it pull it flip it over look at it set it down he did that for like all 50 oh bills oh my god it was so funny <laughs>
0: not as trusting over there on the border of nepal <laughs> i guess not that's it's funny Okay, so um, so you're still kind of, a, you got obviously a, a tremendously good deal on the uh, boat access only lots, but you're still not 100% co- sure what you're gonna do with them.
1: No, right? not exactly. I mean, yeah. it'll add equity to my portfolio if I keep them. If I sell them, I'll pay off some of my other debts and just get a lot more cash flow. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of my loans uh, some of my loans, uh, are, run- are gonna be paid off within two years or three years. So even if I don't do anything, my my cash flow will bump up an extra thousand dollars in, in two years without even raising rents or you know, just my paying off. So Yeah.
0: So do you think do you think you might keep any of these lots as rentals? Yeah, definitely.
1: Think, oh, really? Uh so okay. one one of the lots I really like for I wanna build like a seven, eight hundred square foot house, but that's not gonna be this year. Possibly next year or okay. the following year. Uh, but this year I think I'll just build Two cabins, sell one, keep one for a little cabin for myself, or rent it, or I don't know, plan it by ear. Okay.
0: How how many how many rental units or properties do you envision yourself having?
1: In um, the future. So I don't actually have a goal for that. Um, I have different financial goals. Yeah. Of how much passive income I want. Um, so, uh, I have just different thresholds of how much last year I set a goal to increase my cash flow by a thousand dollars and I started the year not knowing how I was going to do that yeah and ended up after thinking for two months I decided the best way would be to build an RV park so I built an RV park and increased my cash flow by 1500 or something like that Um, and this year it was to increase my net worth by um, a certain amount and i'm feeling pretty confident that's going to happen okay so
0: so you take your goals one year at a time a lot so of by the yeah, end of I'm this year you'll figure out what you're going to do next year
1: yeah this year yeah was i wanted to increase my my net worth uh and it looks like i'm on track for that so okay um
0: do you think you'll uh, eventually have property managers that might take care of
1: yeah pro- a lot of the grunt probably. work for you so I'm kind of training a couple. I've got two people doing most of the managing right now. Oh, okay. So um, there, I have an on-site manager for the RV park. Yeah. And.
0: Is an RV park? Is it? Is it? So is it like a nightly rental thing, or is it no? It's a it's a month to month. Month to month. And I okay. yeah,
1: I only will rent to somebody if they're planning on staying at least six months.
0: So how does that work? Do they just call you, or do you have like a sign outside the RV park? I like can fill those really quick. Okay. Um,
1: an ad on Craigslist or an ad on Facebook will fill out the park in a week.
0: Do you have much, um, what kind of what kind of calls or requests do you ever have for, do you have any kind of calls
1: on an RV park when something goes wrong? I haven't had anything go wrong. I've just had one noise complaint. Noise complaint, okay. For one of the people's dogs. Gotcha. So.
0: Are a lot of these people like living there full-time yeah, for the most so, part, or are they um, in between
1: housing? Full-time RVers. It's more like a mobile home park. Uh, oh, okay. There's enough people that live permanently in RVs, yeah, to be able to just rent year-round.
0: Uh, could you do? You mind diving deep into the RV park deal and how, how what you bought that for, how you bought it, uh, how many spots you put in, what it cost you to do all the work yourself and
1: what so yeah i i i built the whole rv park last year while traveling through over 20 countries so i was only actually here in the u.s for about six months okay. um, but um, uh, yeah i did it for really cheap i i uh, i mean i started with bare land i drilled the well bring power to the property uh, put in several septic systems Uh, Ran all the utilities to eight spots, um, built two roads. Okay, so you had eight spots that you're able to fit onto. How many acres? Um, That one's actually just over half an acre.
0: So that whole. Just, oh, only a half acre. Yeah. So this is a pretty small lot. So, yes. Were you able to, like, was it zoned right? Or did you have to change the zoning at all? I didn't
1: have to change the zoning. Um, I found creative loopholes. Okay. Um, But a lot of wrestling through stuff with the county and a lot of, yeah. A, a challenging thing I um, yeah it's challenging Is it, well yeah just are the challenges over or are they still on <laughs> no I don't have any challenges at the moment okay. now no but just a lot of uh, going back and forth with the county making sure they understood their own codes <laughs> oh
0: so can you tell us about these loopholes I'm curious. I'm
1: curious um well there's just different ways you can classify RVs there's different ways you can classify them as a mobile home there's just different creative ways of uh, of, um, of building an RV park I guess but I, it was also on multiple lots this is it's just only a half an acre or more but it was on multiple lots and they were zoned quite nicely so I, it was it was all legit but it took a bit of figuring out for sure okay
0: gotcha so um, you were able to do this all within six months
1: yeah. Uh so it spanned longer than that, but I was only in the US for about six months, so Okay. Yeah. So you what'd you buy the property for? <laughs> you don't
0: wanna know. Uh <laughs> sixteen mad. grand. Okay, that's great. Yeah. But you had to put it in a well.
1: Yeah, so I mean I, I dumped like forty thousand into the property. Forty thousand.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah that's not
0: too bad. So, uh, and was this well producing enough for eight? Yeah, it's eight over, spots? producing
1: over a hundred gallons a minute. So, and is it like one septic system, or did you have to put in eight? Yeah, uh, yeah, a lot of septic systems. It was um, so several septic systems. Um, yeah. You had to put in,
0: okay. Did you have to do eight? No, not a full eight. Okay, no, so you're some allowed to do
1: Two. Okay. Two RVs per septic system. Two RVs. Um, okay, so, you, so every house septic is allowed to have uh, an RV hookup to go into it. So oh, I got okay. septics approved for houses, and uh, so it would be approved for two RVs if I wanted to just hook up RVs to them.
0: Gotcha. So, yeah, so you put in four septic systems? Mm-hmm. Does that mm-hmm. sound right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And then you, so you ram power to like, did each one have kind of like just a stub or like a 30 amp breaker, 40 amp, um, 50 the, amp breaker?
1: Uh, they have a, a normal uh, RV pedestal with a, a fifty, thirty, and twenty amp breaker, uh-huh. um, and a meter at each spot. Um, I mean, I could find pictures, but uh, I, know, I guess we don't need that.
0: Oh, it's okay. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just curious. I'm just trying to picture it in my mind. Mm-hmm. So basically, just, just pads. You got your electric, mm-hmm. septic um, hookup,
1: water hookup,
0: and you got two. Okay, okay. So, um.
1: How much are you getting per month on these spots? Uh, $400 um, for some spots. Um, other uh, places, I'm getting up to like 550 so.
0: Okay. And are they paying electric, or are mm-hmm. you? They are. OK, so you don't have any electric bills. Um, and you've got
1: how much gross coming in on that? Um, like twenty eight. 2800 uh, something like that. Um, yeah. I'm working off. Um, I'm.
0: And you're all in, I'm guessing, under 100 grand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and my own yeah. labor. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. So, where. Uh, where do you find land like that? Like, how'd you find that well, deal? Was uh, it on the market? Or yeah, did you most call of my somebody?
1: property, well, half of them I've got off the MLS and half I found through word of mouth or a friend or something like that. But uh, stuff that sits on the market for a year, uh, people get desperate to sell and make a bunch of lowball offers.
0: and
1: um, $16,000. <laughs> yeah. And that
0: was an MLS deal? Yep. Wow. Yep. <laughs> Turned it into an RV park. Yeah, that's so
1: am- that's pretty incredible. And the waterfront properties were MLS. Yeah, and nobody won- they were marketed pretty poorly. And yeah, <laughs> so I mean, I've, uh, I, I'm looking at properties all the time, and I I lay in bed at night and just scroll through properties, <laughs> and just I mean, I'll you know you can scroll through hundreds of them in an hour, and obviously say no to 95 of them without even clicking on it. Yeah. Uh, but occasionally you see something really cheap and you're like I wonder why that's cheap click on it and start adding numbers and seeing if it works mm-hmm. call on a bunch of people and chat and most of them I was able to do like go back and forth with them for a month verbally without submitting any uh, written offer and just yeah. fill them out and if they weren't ready to come down just drop it and call them back a month later and sometimes you just get lucky calling back a month later like so what if I did this type of offer and they're like ah okay we'll consider it send us a written offer.
0: Now I know for a fact you're not just saying that because mm. I, a couple of years ago you called me on one of my listings mm. and uh, I think that was the first time we ever spoke mm. but it was at least a couple of years ago was that property on Miller. Oh yeah. And since then um, you've you've called me back about it like f- at least four or five times. Yeah. In the last couple of years. Just curious where the seller's motivation is. Would they yeah. take this? And you've, had, I think you've made at least a couple offers. Yeah. Um, but I, I got to commend you on that. A lot of people just give up after the first time. Yeah. Uh, but who knows? Maybe someday you'll own that property because it's still listed. Yeah, if you'll come down on the price. <laughs> yeah. Stubborn sellers, that's okay.
1: <laughs> they're they're ca- Yeah. Can't, you can't get them all. But yeah. you can when you follow up like that. So yeah, I mean, I'm i try not to be too desperate to make a sell happen. And I try to always have a couple other cells uh, that I'm looking at at the same time so I, I don't feel too too clingy. So I, I don't mind walking away from most everything. So yeah, I just good, I mean I can't only, get emotionally attached. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I mean I also have to acknowledge that I mean I've been investing in real estate for the last five years in an upward trend in the markets where um, So I, I mean I've got a lot of appreciation in my properties just because of the market. So that's helped a lot. Yeah. But I was I was looking at through my phone yesterday. I seen ten acres I was making offers on, and their listing price was twenty five thousand. And this was up by Spirit Lake, like just five, four or five years ago. I'm like, I should have bought that. You know, <laughs> their asking price was twenty five. Who knows what I was at was offering them, but nice, but.
0: So um, what kind of advice would you give to a young guy, let's say he's, I don't know, 18, 19, just graduated high school, he's considering going to college for, I don't know, majoring in gender studies, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but he's not really sure what he wants to do with his life, but he's, he keeps listening to these real estate podcasts and wants to eventually do something but just doesn't know how to get started. What, what kind of advice would you give to somebody who's very young but does what would be their very first action step that you would recommend to them?
1: Well, if they are already listening listening to podcasts and stuff that's a huge part of it i mean they just have to you have to work on changing your your mindset and assuming it's possible if you actually believe it's possible you can f- figure it out and make it happen but uh just start analyzing some property like every night analyze one property just start adding up numbers if you could buy it for this price get a get a um a mortgage calculator and just Put in how much you can afford and, or, or whatever, and just figure it out, numbers. And if you can afford 300 a month, if you can afford 1000 a month, find out how much you can afford, how much you could make an offer on the property, whether or not it would pay off, and, yeah. and just start thinking through all the numbers. And it's going to take you six months or a long time to, to start understanding the numbers before you feel comfortable making a deal. But um, just start looking at them. Yeah. And if
0: I can help out and add to that with that, like, if so, so you'd basically recommend just start analyzing deals,
1: analyzing, um, it, yeah. if
0: you have no idea how to analyze a deal or where to even start with that, um, just go, to, go to our website and download the free spreadsheet. Um, mm-hmm. North Idaho click on tools and we have four spreadsheets, um, that you can download, click on the rental one, if it's a rental property and, um, and, it, and that way you don't miss anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You, you definitely know, want to get that, a, that way you know what to analyze. It'll tell you what numbers to plug in and you'll see if it works. Just, just if I can give that kind of advice. Yeah.
1: Really good. And you definitely want to have somebody to bounce ideas off of. And mm-hmm. so it'd be nice if you could find somebody like yourself or somebody to, to talk to and run a deal past. But, um, yeah, you have to kind of start understanding your market and you uh, feel free to throw, um, uh, fake ads on Craigslist and see what you could run something for. If you don't know your market, I did that before I built the RV park. I was oh, really? running fake ads for RV spots. Find out what, what I could get from. You say, when, oh, if I get my full. phone slammed, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, that, that looks lucrative. Um, yeah. So that's good advice. Okay.
0: Anything, anything else you throw in there?
1: Um, well, getting a mentor would be great. Uh, that, that would be awesome. And, uh, stick with listening to good podcasts and learning that way okay. but then once you kind of have that squared away and you're listening to podcasts and you're learning from people that's when you really need to start analyzing deals and understanding your own personal market and maybe narrowing down your criteria of what exactly you're looking for but um, see if you can find any holes in your local <laughs> market or yeah any niche
0: so okay. um So I would imagine the last five years of real estate investing, you've probably made some mistakes here and there, right? Yeah. What would you say is your biggest mistake that you would warn people not to do, if you can think of anything? As little or big (laughs) as you want it to
1: be. (laughs) Um, A mistake? Uh, Not starting sooner. Uh, That's a good one. (laughs) Yeah, most of my s- mistakes are relevant to a specific thing, which wouldn't apply to most people. But I've made mistakes with uh, lots of things. I've had problems. I've got violations. i had a lawsuit. <laughs> I've had problems with <laughs> yeah. with different deals. Uh, and so it doesn't always work out. That... But your biggest mistake was not starting sooner. Probably. That's, that's encouraging. <laughs> yeah. Awesome.
0: Well, I appreciate you. I, Thanks for taking the time to tell your story. And, um, yeah, I, th- I thought this was amazing. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. See you. Thanks for tuning in to the Investor Shed Podcast. Please like the video and subscribe to the channel for instant access to all future episodes. If you were or something you know, it's investing best experience of stories to share. Reach out to us in the comments.